0: Welcome back to the Funding University Podcast. I am your host, Seth Block. Today, we welcome Suzanne Mealy. Suzanne is a business attorney in Orlando that specializes in corporate, copyright, IT, and business law. Her clients include custom app developers, web developers, engineering firms, biometrics companies, and IT service providers. On the podcast, we talk about the importance of having your own attorney review the LOI and loan documents you receive from a funding source. Later, we discuss Suzanne's vast experience working with her clients who have or are looking to get an SBA loan. We even dive into subordinations and refinancing of these loans. So with that, let's get started. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Suzanne. It's great to have you on today. Uh, I really wanna get into what you're doing right now but before we do that, let's take a moment to let our listeners learn a little bit about you. Where did you grow up, go to school, et cetera?
1: Okay. Um, well, I'm a, I'm an Army brat. And um, so I say that I I am from Huntsville, Alabama, which is where my dad retired. Um, he was a classic double dipper for uh, the DOD, was in the Army, came out, went back to work for the Army. Um <laughs> And so uh, Huntsville is home of rednecks and rocket scientists and redneck rocket scientists. And it's also home for a lot of computer industry stuff. So, of course, I majored in English at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Okay. Um, yeah, because why would you in an engineering town major in anything but, you know, English? Um, but my first jobs were all in the computer industry, and I just sort of self-taught a lot of database uh, admin kind of things. And I found that my ability to communicate with clients and, and also uh, because I'm I married a geek, uh, <laughs> I could speak geek. You know, it was like, sure. you learn it or you get a divorce. And, um, and so I just sort of kind of like as, you know, baby Susie came up in the tech, uh, the tech world right before dot .com boom and bust. And so I, you know, like they were desperate for anyone who could lay their hands on a computer and know what they were doing. Um, your computer science degree was great if you were going to go work for NASA, but if, if you were working for, as I was at the time, um, a medical, uh, you know, it was an electronic medical records company. And, uh, you know, what they really wanted was somebody who could relate to the, the customer and then bring it back into in-house to the development team. So mm-hmm. I was sort of the widget between those two things, um, somewhere between um, deployment and testing and um, you know being the the customer service, you know, frontline person. And that was back when we had to actually go on site to install things.
0: <laughs> gotcha.
1: So I was doing a lot of work
0: there. Yep. Uh, and so today you actually have your own firm, correct?
1: Yeah. I, I went to law school in 2003, um, graduated in 06, worked for a few years for a big firm. And all of my clients were small firm or small startups, tech companies, you know, um, and they all wanted predictability. They wanted for me to be able to say, it's going to be this much or about this much, you know, <laughs> the kind of things that big firms are like, yeah, no, we bill it this much per hour. Um so now, you know that's kind of my my niche is small firms and and with a particular uh, bent toward technology uh, industry clients.
0: Gotcha. Well, let me tell you, it is great to have a business attorney on the podcast. Usually, we have a lender or uh, or or broker or even the CFO of a company. and they give us their perspective on funding. Would you take a, a second here and tell us about the role of a business attorney in the funding process?
1: Well, um, the business attorney is kind of in a unique position um, in these kind of negotiations. And whether you're getting bank funding or you're getting um, you're getting you know private funding, private lending, um, investment, um, doing an IPO, whatever it is, you have to have somebody who is looking out for your interests in terms of the contracts, because all of these things are paper heavy. Um, So everybody else probably has their own attorney. And if they say, oh, don't worry, my attorney's got it. That attorney is working for that other person and we have a fiduciary duty, which means we legally can only represent one one party in the transaction. They're not representing you. So if you don't have your own attorney, you're at a disadvantage from the word go. Um, even if it's just somebody who explains what all the the forms mean and what the S- why the SBA wants all of this stuff, or why the lender ins- is insistent that you re-domicile your corporation to, you know, Delaware or wherever, um, that's that's where we come in and and try to help explain it and facilitate and make the deal go a little bit smoother for you and make sure you understand what you're getting into.
0: Sure, i I'll t- It's interesting you say that because I, I work on deals. I mean, anywhere from, you know, $250,000 deployed up to, you know, $25 million. Um, And if I ever send over a set of documents to a a client to be, and they just turn around and send them back to me signed, I put a pause on. Like, I don't think you've had this reviewed. With that in mind, do you think that, all lending deals should have legal counsel engaged maybe not in the negotiations but certainly in the contract negotiations
1: um yeah i do um i think that it's a good idea like if nothing else when you get that letter of intent mm-hmm. send it over to your lawyer to to take a look at and you know pay for an hour consultation i i do this all the time where i'll get on a zoom call with my client and we'll pop up that that uh letter of intent and walk through it yep so you know what you're you know what the terms are and sometimes there are terms of art that you don't even realize are in there um and even though the letter of intent is technically non-binding at that point you still want to know what's in there because that's the basis for all of the future negotiations
0: oh absolutely
1: yeah you
0: don't, I, yeah. I, you don't I one s- in
1: then one in as soon as you can after
0: (laughs) right no i find i think that's i could tell you in my case the letter of intent the the term points in the letter of intent almost always make it into the contract verbatim every once in a while there's a change but uh usually that that ends up being the terms of the contract
1: yeah and and that initial contract that letter of intent can also have something that says once it's signed and we passed our due diligence period, this becomes binding. Yep. So you need to know what you're signing. Yeah. And very often people don't even understand that. Well, you know, it said it's a non-binding letter of intent, but yeah. But, but this last paragraph right here that says you, you let your due diligence period expire without doing anything. You're now bound to this. Yeah. Um,
0: very true. I've seen, I, I have absolutely seen that in, in, Uh, letters of intent we personally don't do that but I have absolutely seen it another interesting point you make there because I run into this a lot particularly with customers and these are smaller customers who have taken out these merchant cash advance loans Mm. they will come to me and and you know these loans they're drafting their account every day uh, and and they'll be looking to get out of it and you know I'll start talking to them about it and they'll say oh and I'm paying them you know 30% 30% interest or 40% interest. And I go, really? Cause that's, that's super cheap for a merchant cash advance loan. And they'll send me the agreement and it turns out they're paying anywhere between 80 and 120% interest. Um, yep. And they just didn't know it because they hadn't gone through that process that you talked about where, you know, an attorney kind of walks them through what they're agreeing to
1: right. Wow. and and they the reason they get that number of the thirty percent is that's what they end up paying over the course of the 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 note because they're it's a rolling thing. like they're getting in an advance and then they're paying it off over three months, six months, whatever, paying thirty percent on it, and then starting over with the next tranche
0: right. Bad. And, and, and they don't realize that if they pay thirty percent over three months, that's not actually thirty percent interest because it was only right. three months it's more like 120% interest. Um, right. So it's, yeah, you're right. They really need to understand that. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, from your perspective,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you're dealing with clients, uh, what do you think, or how do you advise them when considering a traditional, and when I say traditional, I mean bank versus, you know, bank or SBA lender versus right. an alternative lender, such as an asset-based lender, or a factor, or an equipment lender, someone along that. What what types yeah. of things do you advise people they should be looking at?
1: Well, first, um, look at the source of the funds and know know who you're getting in bed with. Um, with a bank or SBA, obviously you know your banker, or you should know your banker, and you know the terms because it's it's very well documented. We're talking about you know stacks and stacks of paper. Um, it's also, those are also kind of immutable kind of contracts where the SBA dictates a lot of it. Um, and then the rest is like the bank standard pro forma stuff. Um, by the time you actually sign the documents, you'll have handed over every detail about your wife. They'll have a, a mortgage on your home They'll, you know, like all of those things. So understand what you're getting yep. with, with private, any kind of private equity, You're, you're basically, even if it's not a stock transfer or any kind, you know, if they're not acquiring an ownership interest in your company, they are taking an interest in all of your assets. um, Or um, in a, you know, like I, I, when I was in tech, I had, this is kind of like background stuff. I worked for a, a healthcare IT company that got swallowed up by one of its customers because they didn't understand that, that the funding that that customer had provided them was contingent on meeting certain deliverables that, you know, and they they thought that they could just extend those forever. Well, at a certain point, they called the note and they wound up literally owning the company. Yeah. So, and it, it's turned out well for them in the long run because now they're a subsidiary of a massive company that, that does this and the product is still out there.
0: Um, yeah. That, that right. is a, a fortunate outcome. It, it's been my experience. Really rare. Uh, and, and people don't realize this a lot of times, particularly on lines of credit and commercial loans. A lot of these loans are one or two year terms. And yeah. at the end of that term, if that lender, for whatever reason, decides they don't want to extend, you got to yeah. pay them back. And yeah. a lot of companies and- are not in a position to do that.
1: And, and if the primary asset of your business is the software you've developed or the, the patents that you own, guess who owns it now?
0: Yeah. You've, right. you've,
1: you've, you've entered into an assignment. Yep. Um, that, that's what a security agreement is. The other thing is, um, I have clients who get into personal guarantees and are in over their head on those, and you can quite literally lose your personal assets, um, whether it's, I have to go get a job, and now they're garnishing my wages, or they're coming to, to repossess my home. You can quite literally put everything on the line with some of these loans. Um, and And I've had, you know, it just depends on the nature of the personal guarantee. But for the most part, when you're accepting any kind of investment funding, that is other than Stock ownership being on the line, you're going to be signing a personal guarantee. And that means that you personally agree to pay that note if the company folds.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very valid point. Uh, you know, it's funny, I talk to people all the time about the differences between a personal guarantee and a validity guarantee, which yeah. you know, a validity guarantee, they're on the line if they, you know, commit fraud or misdirect funds. Uh, yeah. Whereas on a personal guarantee, you're literally on the line no matter what goes wrong, uh, and right. and they can abs. I mean, they can take your your house and your car and everything else, uh, and and will to get paid back.
1: And I I know I had some clients that um, they had signed those kind of personal guarantees, and then they took PPP or EIDL during COVID, used that to pay off the note because they had no other way to do it, and now you know they're having to justify things to the SBA they're having to you know, beg for, you know, loan forgiveness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you, you end up robbing Peter to pay Paul if you're not, if you're not really, really careful with this stuff.
0: Yeah. Very good point. Uh, and you brought it, essentially, you brought up the SBA and we had talked a little bit about that before we started the yeah. podcast. How did you get involved doing work, uh, on the SBA side?
1: Um, Mostly because of my clients, my clients who had SBA notes or were were getting into, you know, like they were expanding or they were, you know, at a position in their startup where they could obtain an SBA note. um, Those clients would come to me and say, they're asking for all this stuff and I don't even know if I have it. Um, And because the SBA wants every piece of paper about your your business. Right. So if you have, so if you haven't kept corporate formalities, like annual minutes and things like that, then they want, they're digging into that. And you're calling your lawyer saying, why do they want all this stuff? And you know, what if I don't have it, you know, do I get to create it now? And, you know, how does this work? And, um, you know, so there's a lot of digging into those kind of regulatory things for the clients and finding out what they, what they legitimately have to produce and, and how, and, you know, keep in mind that the lender can add their own things on top of it. So it's never exactly the same way twice, but you're going to have to hand over everything.
0: (laughs) That's an excellent point that, that I, I, I've run across that you have The SBA has rules and guidelines, but the bank is actually issuing the loan, and they have their own underwriting policies. So,
1: right, and and the SBA is just there as an insurance policy. It's like FDIC on your bank account. mm -hmm. Um, And just like that, it's only a portion of the note that is guaranteed by the SBA. The rest has to be underwritten by the bank, so they have skin in the game, or the SBA is not going to make the you know agree
0: to the loan. Sure, Um, and and the and the bank certainly has to. You just like they do on any loan. They have to use good credit underwriting policies to make sure that these loans mm-hmm. are are well backed. Um, oh yeah. You know, it's, and it's funny. I've been writing and and talking about issues with the SBA 7a and the EIDL loans for the last several yeah. months, especially when these loans need to be subordinated. You know, because mm-hmm. the borrower needs more money. Do you have yeah. any suggestions to help companies resolve? you know lending conflicts that you know they've got an SBA loan but they need to you know get a factory facility or get some other kind of working capital loan you have any ideas to help folks get ready for that so that they can avoid yeah. future issues
1: one of the one of the biggest things is know that you're going to have to ask permission the SBA has to ask, has to has to review it and grant permission they usually do for working capital loans as long as they have a sufficient security interest in the business. Um, so it's not impossible to do, but you've got to, you you need to be able to back it up. So don't overextend on that SBA 7A loan if you're also then going to be seeking um, factoring or uh, additional investment for working capital. Mm-hmm. So let's say you take out an a 7A to do a factory expansion or just buy new equipment or whatever it is. But then you also need to do some factoring, because now you have to hire staff up to meet the production, you know, like you, you've gone out and you've sold, and now you've got to produce. Well, you don't get your money until the back end, you, you're going to have to do something. Um, so if you don't have that working capital banked, then you're going to have to ask the SBA. Um, one of the best ways that I've seen to do this is to go to the same bank the same lender where you have your your 7a loan or your eidl Mm -hmm. and talk to them about it because if they say look we do want you to subordinate this note that has tremendous sway with the SBA when you ask so if you can can maintain a good relationship with that that lender do it um the other thing is consider refi um I have seen where you have, if you have like a year or two down the road in that SBA note, your lender is seeing like a, you know, good repayment history and things are going well. Um, then they'll very often do a refi at a lower rate to get you out of that SBA seven A, so you don't have to worry about the subordination factors.
0: Oh wow, that's uh, that's interesting.
1: Um, now I've it's only been a few clients that I've had that have done that successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and in each case, they were uh one was a hot sauce manufacturer, and they were able to do this because their uh, their business model had equipment and facilities that were were attractive to the lender. So the lender looked at that, and instead of saying, "I don't know if we're going to get repaid," they saw a good repayment history. They saw enough assets to secure the note. And a business owner who is highly motivated to, to really grow this business. and I think you know those things, a good business plan cannot be underestimated in all of this, if you can show this is where that money's going to go and this is how we're going to get our mo- get your money back, um, that's what they want to see, um, But they also want to know that you've got something more to secure it.
0: Yeah. um, Have you ever seen a situation where you've got a a company you're working with, they've got an SBA 7A loan. Let's say they've got it with ABC Bank. uh, They need to do a refi or a refi really makes sense. But ABC Bank, for whatever reason, is just reluctant. Have you ever seen a situation where you've taken them or they've gone to XYZ Bank to do a refinance of that same yeah.
1: yeah. And I've, I've even had one that, um, they did a complete refi using a, with a third party company that was just a, a capital lender, private mm-hmm. lender. And, um, they look at that and they go, well, that takes one of the big liabilities off the books. It puts it on our books, but then we're collecting that the same, you know, basically collecting the same money that would have been collected anyway. Um, yeah it it really has to do with your your track record of payment on that original note and your your growth if your numbers support it then absolutely the refi can happen with with other lenders going to the original lender is a shortcut um if they're oh. not willing to do it for whatever reason like some lenders overextended on eidls as you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: um they got they got they kind of found themselves a little um a little overextended on those because right. they just assumed they were you know they were going to get paid um 7a's not so much ppps there was a, a lot of a lot of fraud not everyone goes massive fraud but i mean 40 billion in in light of the like 80 or 40 million in light of the 80 billion that was actually lent, lent is not as massive in in, right. in context
0: it's a lot of um, money but it but it's not in the universe right. it's not as much right um, yeah, I also think, you know, you've got these non-bank SBA lenders now that are able to to do loans. Um, I suspect they're gonna be a little more aggressive than the traditional banks. And so that Absolutely. might also yeah, I think that's oh, gonna be yeah. an opportunity for folks to to refinance and and get more capital through the S through the seven eight uh route yeah
1: and i i think that's really exciting that's probably like the most exciting thing that's going on in sba right now Mm um other than you know like the constantly shifting changes in the sops um except for that (laughs) right being able to to go to a non-bank um you know the sba doesn't care and you know ultimately where the who the lender is they care about who the Borrower,
0: Right. So, yeah, that that lender does have to adhere to their rules and get the proper guarantees Mm -hmm. and all of that. Uh, You're
1: still going to have to jump through the hoops.
0: (laughs) Yep. Let's shift gears a little bit, because I've noticed you really work a lot with companies that are in new technologies, including medical research and development, next generation type stuff. Uh, These companies can have a difficult time finding funding. Yeah. But not only that, finding the right kind of funding. What what kind of obstacles do you see yeah. these these sort of companies encounter as they seek to grow? And what yeah. advice would you give them?
1: Um, one, you know, first and foremost, until your the technology you're working in is established enough, you're probably not looking at bank financing. Um, they want some sort of guarantee of payment. And if you're doing virtual reality, this, or XR, or, or, you know, AI stuff, even though they go, wow, that's really cool, that's amazing stuff. We'd love to get involved in that once they dig into it and they go, oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, what's, where's where do we get paid back? And um, if that's even the slightest bit mushy, a bank is gonna go, no, um, however, incubators are stepping up uh, and helping these these you know like if you can get into say the central florida tech corridor or um, a local incubator that has contacts with funding and that's that's the key is it can't just be the local school local college that is doing um, has their their business incubator and it's really just an accelerator to help you you know kind of like score is help you figure out next steps to get to turn an idea into a business Mm -hmm. they need to be in there to help you um, really with the funding side of it and that's a true incubator so a, a true business incubator is going to help you with all of the nuts and bolts of a business but they're also going to put you with people in the capital world people in people who can help you with investment people who can be your outsourced cfo Um, even outsource CEOs I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, These things can be, you know, like taking advantage of of what they've got to offer can be a really good thing. It can be a really good fit. Just know that um, once you set up that company to work with with these individuals, they're going to want you to set up a business, you know, a proper business entity. Um, You're likely to only own about a quarter to a third of the voting stock. And then there's going to be about half of the stock that is non-voting preferred shares. So everyone else gets paid before you.
0: Got it. Um,
1: that's a, <laughs> a big thing to know there. Yep. Um, but that the the first investor in is going to have voting stock and they're going to want to have the majority of the voting stock and control of the board. Yeah. So knowing those things going in, are, those are huge, huge, huge. If you say, I want to control my company, and I want, uh, you know, I want to have, you know, I need this really good funding so that I can make these things happen. And we have this brand new crazy idea, but I know how to make it work. You're going to have to give up some of your company. You're going to have to give up a voting control of your company.
0: Yep. No, I see. I see. <laughs> You're
1: going to have to do it.
0: Yeah, I see it all the time. Um, yeah,
1: you will be the CTO. <laughs>
0: yeah, Um. Well, very good. We're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you, how do you think the lending landscape is good? What do you think it's going to look like in 2024?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, I really think that we're going to see, uh, I go right back to those incubators. I, I think that that is going to be massive, especially in the tech sphere. So much is happening so fast. The laws are not keeping up. The mm-hmm. lenders are not keeping up. The SBA sure as heck is not keeping up with this. Mm-hmm. You have got, you know, like if you are going to stay stay on that cutting edge in terms of technology, um, you know, like you can't even really necessarily get insurance policies that protect you for what what you are planning to do. So you've got to have investors who get it. Um, so being in in these focused incubators is massive. It, it's just the best place for a startup, a nascent, yeah. um, especially in a, in a new industry, a new sector. You've got to be with people who get it. You've got to be with people who have run startups. You've got to be with people who understand what they're doing. And that means lenders who are specialized. Um, so, you know, going with a lender who is in the tech sphere specifically and they're there on purpose is going to be huge yep um and and even if you're not planning on selling off your company even if you're doing factoring being with somebody who understands what your industry is will make a big difference because um i've seen factoring from everything from like square and your credit cards all the way to you know pure investor Funded factoring. Um, It has to do with what you've got coming in and showing that you have repeat business coming in that will continually pay the factoring loan. So if that's what you've got going on and you need limited capital funding, it still pays. You will get a better rate from somebody who understands what you're doing and doesn't see the risk as being so high. Lending, like everything else, is a risk reward basis. So you, if you're with lenders who understand what the risks and rewards are, but actually genuinely don't just just go, oh, well, you know, that's new technology, that's super risky. Um, if they can look at it and go, okay, I see where this has application in this sector, or this industry, whatever, and they understand it, you're going to do way better.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because like with Thermal Credit, we were a niche lender. We lent yeah. to the telecommunications industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were unique in that regard. Um, uh, what I have found with and I'll call them generalists for lack of a better term, you're starting to see a lot of these guys, particularly alternative lenders or or private, private money lenders, so to speak. Yeah. You're seeing them where they're no longer a generalist per se. They may they may not be a complete niche lender, but they may only lend into four or five different industries right because they've learned those industries over the years. and it's it's better for them because you're right. they they're minimizing the risk. they understand the business. It's better for the borrower, not only because, oh, yeah, they have a better chance of being approved. They have a better they get a better rate because the risk isn't so great. The learning curve to get the the funding approved is dramatically shortened
1: it it, that is massive because the time from application to funding one of the reasons you want private equity lending is it it shortcuts all that sba stuff they want to see your business plan yeah they want to see some numbers that back it up and where they're going to get paid and they don't particularly appreciate pie in the sky they want Mm -hmm. A real world basis that's where having that outsource cfo really pays off um uh, but you've got to got to got to have somebody who understands your business well enough to go ah i get it yep because that that aha moment is that's the difference between you just got funded and oh, we need some more information we need some more time we're gonna have to look into this more it yeah it that and it that difference, it could be a three-month difference in funding, and that could be the difference between launching and having to, sh- to shut your doors for some right. of these people. I mean, like, there's only so long that they can go without a paycheck.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. I think there's some some real good information for our listeners, uh, and uh, just thank you so much for doing this, and, and hope to have you back on again in the future.
1: Anytime. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Seth.
0: Thanks.